Yes, good people, it's Francis here from Let's Do Humans podcast. This is just a quick announcement, just to encourage everybody here that's listening to our podcast right now, just to ensure that you subscribe and you follow us on all of the various platforms out there that produce podcasts, that's subscribing to us on YouTube, following us on iTunes and Spotify. I mean, follow us, make sure that you share our content and continue your support, that'll be greatly appreciated. That's Let's Do Humans, L-E-T-S-D-O-H-U-M-A-N-S, Let's Do Humans, one word. Appreciate all of your support. Stay blessed, good people. Yeah, that's why I got you on here. So it's an absolute pleasure that you took this time to share your your knowledge and your story with us. Yeah, you know, it's it's my pleasure. It's it's so funny to me to think that we live in a, a time in the world in which we can do this. And yeah. I, I started my first podcast like seven years ago, and it was a it was a oh, wow. photography podcast, and it was very boring. Yeah. And now looking at, <laughs> actually, it might have been eight years ago, man. I might be aging myself here, um, but. <laughs> But now it's kind of like this is I listen to more podcasts than I listen to music right now. Oh yeah, definitely. I found I found myself in the same like bubble. And I found myself um sharing ideas with people that with in conversations that I'm listening to. So I'm listening to the conversations and then I'm sharing the ideas in my head as in how I'll rebuttal certain ideas or my thoughts on those things. So I spend most of my time just listening to podcasts. I hardly watch TV anymore. It's like, if I'm watching TV, it's going to be YouTube and it's going to be someone's podcast or listening to someone's story. So it's an amazing way of sharing and growing together. But um, since you got the t-shirt on, I'd like to ask you about um, Think I'm Broken because that's the work that you do in regards to um, dealing with people that dealt with childhood trauma and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, about four years ago, I, I was laying in bed. It was like three o'clock in the morning, and I just had a breakup in a in a short term relationship. And and this was a person that I was seeing who, to that point, they hadn't really done the work. You know what I mean? They hadn't like stepped into this place where they healed those trauma wounds, where they'd come to get to know who they are in in a way that was without shame or bias or judgment. And look, we're all on a different path. So that that being said, I was laying in bed and remembering the end of the conversation that leads to the breakup and and her response to me going, "See, you don't get it because you're still broken." And and I had this moment, man, where I was like, "Well, you know, I don't think that's true because I don't argue how I used to. I don't yell, I don't scream, I don't break stuff." I sit and I think and I ponder and I wonder about the world and I move through it in this way that, you know, serves me, generally speaking. Yeah. And as I was laying there and I had this thought, I was like, man, my whole life, people have been calling me broken. So I was a little kid, homeless, growing up in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, like feeling like no one gets it. No one understands dealing with mm. poverty, dealing with drug addiction at 12 years old, all these oh, wow. crazy things that happened to me. It was like, always you're broken, you're broken, you're broken but it's not true. That's not how I think. Mm -hmm. And Francis in this moment, this, like, I want to dare say like a fever dream. I was like, that's not how I think. I do not think broken. I'm, I'm like unbroken. And fast forward four years, here I am sitting on your couch, hanging out with you talking about yeah. it, man. Amazing. But in regards to like identifying your own broken state, is that something that 
you think you internally were able to identify and deal with or was it a process of like discovery from external sources so did someone identify that you had an issue from your past that you needed to deal with for you well you know and, and let me preface it with this you know think unbroken is about creating change in your life to move through your past not get over it, because I don't know mm. that that's really a thing, but to move yeah. through it, to acknowledge it, to understand it, to grow, to ultimately do that thing, which I think we all want, and that's to become the hero of your own story. Mm. And what led me to that, I got to fast forward or rewind even six years before that, yeah. because my life was at rock bottom. I did not recognize that I had been impacted by my childhood so dramatically that it was ruining my life, right? I, I think inherently there is a part within all of us that we understand that there is something that we need to step into and in healing. We No one is walking around with no scars. It's just not the case. But some of us just happen to have more. And, and I had a lot. And I grew up in one of the worst households you could ever possibly imagine. And, and being in my mid-20s, having this moment where I was like, wow, all this trauma, all this experiences that I've had in my life are destroying everything around me. It's ruining my relationships, my health. I was 350 pounds smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and drinking myself to sleep at night. I was running two businesses, working like a workaholic and just really self-sabotaging everything around me because I had not yet had the willingness to step into acknowledging that I had been hurt. And in so instead of like moving into that, because it's very, very scary, um, I just tried to drink it away and sleep it away and mm. have sex with it away and all of those things that ultimately led to this breakdown moment in which I was like, okay, you're either going to get serious about this healing journey or you're going to be dead in a year. Yeah. And that was almost a decade ago. Wow. So, so once you identified it, how, how, what was the process of healing for you? So what sort of steps did you take? You know, so here's the thing. I don't, the identifying part is like, I think we all carry it with us. You know what I mean? I, I think there's a part of us where we all just kind of know eh, something wasn't right. Something yeah. here doesn't really make sense. And then looking at this moment of, of recognizing I needed to do something meant that I needed to do something I'd never done before, even though I knew I needed to do it yeah. in stepping into therapy and getting more serious about personal development and personal growth, about going through and understanding the brain and the body and the trauma response in a really in, in deep way. And so part of it became self-education, right? And that being, I had to start reading all of the books. Mm -hmm. I would be the only civilian in rooms full of doctors at seminars and symposiums, just trying to understand, yeah. going to the conferences, going to the personal growth development, reading the books, going to therapy. And, and the most important thing was I gave myself permission to heal. I mm -hmm. said, I'm going to be able to step into this only in the capacity of which I'm allowing myself to know that on the backside, something good might happen, but it might take a long time. And, and it was so much external and communal support, right? Because one, I had to leave where I was. I recognized I grew up in Indianapolis and I recognized staying in that city was not going to be 
good for my health. In fact, it was so detrimental because I drive past the streets. I'd run into the people. I'd think yeah. about all the chaos of my life and the bad things that I'd done. Cause there was a period of time when I was in my teens where I was selling drugs. I was breaking into cars, running with guns, holding uh-huh. people hostage, like doing things that you see in movies and you go, yeah. kids don't do this. And I go, yes, they do. I promise when it's desperate yeah. enough, they do. And then I moved and I left that place. And I said, I'm not going to go back except to see my family, right? Mm. And in that journey of just separating and removing myself, it was how do I deep dive into understanding who I truly am? And so much of that was therapy and journaling and meditating and yoga and getting Mm. my brain and my body connected again. You know, there's so many ways to step into it and it's different for everyone. And ultimately I did everything. Like I did everything because I just felt like if I don't do everything, then I'm never going to get through so much of the chaos that has entrapped me, right? Yeah. It seems like what one of the great things about your story is that you recognize that you weren't in denial about the situation that you're in. I think a lot of the things that I come across, people that um, are, are suffering from various traumas, even myself in re- in relations to certain behavioral traits that I have that I know is not okay, but we seem to justify in my head that no, it, it might be it might be the other person that's not okay with it or find it not to be okay, but to me it's absolutely fine. And I think that denial stage is kind of super self-tabotaging because we all do it. And I, I continuously find myself doing it as well. So with you, it seems like you were quite understanding of what you were going through and, and felt the need to wanting to change that, which was the amazing part of your journey. Yeah, and, and everyone self-sabotages. Mm. And anyone who says they don't is a liar. Yeah. And, and and we do, and we don't like it. We don't enjoy it. It's a part of our our subconscious mind that kind of leads us. And that's because we haven't yet put that, cover over it and allow it to exist and be like, it's okay that these bad things happen to you and work through them. So often we're just kind of repeating that experience over and over again because it feels normal. It feels natural. You know, man, I used to lay in bed. I'll tell you the most ridiculous thing. I used to lay in bed at 10 o'clock in the morning, eating chocolate cake and watching the CrossFit games. For real. I mean, what is that, right? And looking at myself wearing size 4XL shirts and I can't fit into my clothes. And now, like, fast forward a long time being 200 pounds and feeling super great and, you Mm. know, last summer having a six-pack and, like, really working towards it because here's the thing. The the problem and and with this particularly is (coughs) the thing that you think is the issue is never the issue. It's not the cake. It's not the weight. It's not the cigarettes. It's not the drinking. It's not the sex. It's the, can I be okay with who I am right now? And then can I work to become the person that I know I'm capable of being on top of leveraging the acknowledgement that you have to have, that you have to take ownership and being incredibly disciplined and holding yourself accountable because that's the thing that people fail to do and they blame self-sabotage. It's, it's, it's not that it's self-sabotage. It's that you're not being disciplined and accountable because you've not put yourself in a position yet to be so incredibly uncomfortable that you're mm-hmm. going to grow. Yeah. We, we often sit in this place of just being comfortable with the pain. And, and that was what happened to me. I just stopped being comfortable with the pain. Yeah. That, that that level of comfort is quite scary. And um, I, I find that in, in a lot of things I do, even jumping into doing my own podcast, I was I was comfortable just 
um, being involved in other people's projects and I had that fear of like not wanting to put myself out there and not, not wanting to experience the unknown and that's a terrible way to be as humans I don't know if you read the book feel the fear and do it anyway it's about going through the motions and that eventually you will surpass it but you just have to take that initial step but um, you mentioned something about your weight loss you look great now for someone who was as heavy as you used to be um, how, how impactful do you think exercise is because me personally so I do martial arts I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I haven't been able to train or anything since March the 7th like it's coming up to a year now and I'm I'm losing it like I'm absolutely losing it because um I, I get bored running on the street I get bored doing press-ups at home and I got one dumbbell over there I get bored trying to do a whole body workout with the one dumbbell martial arts is my outlet and I think what one of the things I realize and I talk to people that are going through whether it be mental illness issues with is the power of exercise like physical exercise actually helps with the mental as well can you talk to me a bit about how that helped your journey in terms of like the goals that you set for yourself physically yeah i i think it's so important and i relate like my muay thai gloves are right there mm. you know i i've been practicing muay thai and jiu-jitsu for a very long time I, I think that exercise is foundational. It is a corner to me, exercise. And I'm not saying you have to go do Muay Thai or jujitsu or run a marathon, but moving your physical body is as important as having a therapist, as having a coach, as going to personal growth seminars, because that is the one thing that you actually have control over. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Like to have control over that. And what I didn't know, and part of it was I was dissociated. My brain and my body were not connected. And so I would eat this food as a defense mechanism in the hopes that like somehow I'd be invisible to the world, right? Mm. It just made sense to me. And and looking back at it now, I'll go, oh, well, that's not really rational. And stepping into this place of, of growth meant that I had to learn to be okay with my physical body. And to do that, I had to move it. And it was excruciating at the beginning, yeah. man. And here's what's really funny is I grew up an athlete. I was a four-star letterman. I was the captain of the football oh, sure. team, captain of the wrestling team. I played baseball for 12 years. Wow. You know, I did karate. Like, I was an athlete. But in my 20s, I got super successful in corporate America. Mm -hmm. And I started just going crazy. Because one of the things that happens is money often exacerbates the problem. Yeah. More, 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 more. And suddenly I went from this really fit 200 pound guy who like, at least I had, here's what happened. You know what happened? I got out of school and mm. I didn't have that thing anymore. Right. Mm. That thing being that outlet for all the rage I had, dude, I loved wrestling and playing football. Cause I yeah. got hurt people. That's yeah. not really what sports is about, but it worked for me. Then that's not how I, I participate in sports now, but back then it was the outlet. Mm. And when I lost that outlet, it became consumption drugs, women, food, and that kind of just spiraled for six years. And, and I had that moment of, of recognizing the power of, of exercise and being willing to step into it because I knew, I knew again, subconsciously, we all knew, I knew I wasn't taking care of myself, but I was so terrified of what does it mean if I do take care of myself? Yeah. Because then I have to learn about things like self-love like self-belief about compassion, about care, 
about all the things that had been taken from me in my youth. And in stepping into that, not only did I get to show up for myself and grow, I also got to get in better shape and feel good and recognize for the first time in my life at 27 years old, yeah. I was like, oh my God, I'm actually handsome. Yeah. And to have that <laughs> for moment, yeah. because no one had ever told me this and it had yeah. been stolen from me. And I had never told myself that's for damn sure. Yeah. And then, and then recognizing like, wow, that's, interesting and strange yeah. and uncomfortable but also empowering at the same time because i earned it yeah. and and there's something about exercise that it can just and of course you can look at the psychological benefits of it go read any study about research mm. about exercise and mental health and they all point to go exercise it's not most even definitely. in question at this point yeah most definitely and and in regards to like exercise and how we feel about bodies that's one of the reasons why i know there's this whole body positive movement going on nowadays and and I get a lot of conversations, because I'm podcast, whenever I'm around any group of friends, they always want to have conversations, even though I might just want to chill, have a beer or whatever. So when I'm around my female friends now, they always want to bring up the conversation in regards to like the body positive movement. And I, I'm, I try to be as honest with them as possible. I'm like, look, that you find more you find more positive energy coming out of you if you feel healthy and you look healthy. I understand that like, yeah, everyone should be loved. Everyone should be respected. You shouldn't be disrespecting someone due to their size or whatever, but there's more mental power and strength in looking and being healthy as a person and wanting to exercise and not just accepting the state that you're in just because you feel like it should be appreciated just because that, that there's more to it. And exercise is a great tool. I mean, I've got friends that have lost significant amount of weight and all of a sudden they, 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 they're the guy now, they're the main guy in town. But um, so when I was reading your, your story, I came across a um, particular quote. It, it says, um, it's, it's better to raise strong children than to fix broken men. Um, I'm not sure if you've come across that, that quote. And the reason why I kind of associate that to you is that I was trying to figure out like what was going on in a young person's mind at the age of 12 that what was going on in your life, like in, in terms of like your family setting that led to you going into the dark path that you ended up going into. Yeah, you, you know, high level is I'll, I'll give you the quick version. Mm. So my my mother was a drug addict and alcoholic. Um, mm. She cut off part of my right index finger when I was oh, only wow. four years old. That's baseline, right? Wow. She married my stepfather, the super hyper abusive dude who he would just beat the crap out of my brothers and I um, all the time. It was like a game to him to mm. see how much pain he could inflict in children. Um, and by the time that I'm eight, we're often homeless while growing up in the Mormon church. And by the time I'm 10, my mom had left my stepfather, but they, she had disappeared. She had literally disappeared. And for two years, I was living with strangers from the church. My brothers and I, we would just be separated with these different people. I lived with like 30 different families over the course of two years. And by the time I was 12, my mom had started to clean her act up. She'd gotten this house. We're living in it and she disappears again. And for this entire summer before I'm a freshman in high school, I live by myself, stealing food from the grocery store, no electricity, no water. It was crazy, man. And my grandma finds out and she adopts me. Uh, here's the hard part about this, the juxtaposition. I'm biracial, black and white. My grandmother is an old racist ass white lady from a town you have never heard of. Wow. So now insert this incredible identity crisis yeah. of being a biracial kid in a racist house. I mean, you, I had a ball haircut when I was like 12 years old. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and so, you know, 
that that led me to this place where I was filled with anger and rage. And I, I just started doing drugs. Mm-hmm. I started drinking. I started running with the wrong people. But it was also like, how can I maybe keep the lights on? How do I buy food for the family? Like, it, it was really intense. It was really crazy experience. And in my 20s, that all came to a head where I'd recognize, man, I had been in darkness for 26 years. Mm. Yeah. And and it's, I think one of the hard parts in all of that is that they, the difference in, because you, you're going through so many families and it's like there's different, there's different cultures, there's different setups. All of that is a major mix up in, in terms of like a child's mindset when, when at that time your, your frontal cortex isn't even developed. You're, you're unable to rationalize a lot of things. Plus you're soaking up everything like a sponge. So that whole thing causes a mass confusion. Do, do you think that played a part in terms of like your character as an individual and how were you able to find yourself within all of that chaos? Man, great question. Uh, a couple of things happened. Yes. First off, you're absolutely correct. Right. I, I remember just sitting and observing and consuming and thinking about when you have access to that many different family social structures, you learn a lot about people. And, and I found that the majority of people were good people. Kids didn't get beat every night. Kids didn't go to bed hungry. Kids didn't get whatever that thing was. And then there were the bad people, right? And and that's going to exist. It's just the nature of humanity. It's who we are. Unfortunately, humans were not the best thing on planet Earth. And and I had these moments of recognizing this. And one of the things that happened was twofold. One, I made a declaration that like, if I were ever a parent, which I don't have children, I, I don't know that I will, that I would never be like mine, right? That was first and foremost. And the other part of it is that I built an incredible amount of resilience, I, in, in these times of my youth, because it was like survive or die, I had to learn how to survive. And and you could drop me off in any situation on planet earth. I will make it through. I have become so incredibly resilient. And as many trauma survivors do, because our brains, the number one thing that our brain does in conjunction with our body is keeps us alive. The brain is the number one survival mechanism on planet earth, the human brain, because it wants you to not die. And because of that, I learned so many ways to not die. The problem of that is I also learned how to manipulate people. I learned how to lie to people. I learned how to be this really kind of seedy human being because when you grow up in the underbelly, it like becomes a part of you. Mm. And I had to retrain that out of myself. I had to learn my wants, needs, interests, and values and how to put myself in this position of not being a liar and mm. looking at my, my core self and saying, who am I really? And ultimately putting honesty at the top of that threshold. And in those moments, now, obviously, as a child, you don't recognize that. You don't understand that the world is unfair. This is not right, whatever that thing may be. And a lot of good has come out of it. I know that's uncomfortable for people to hear, but it's true because I learned who I was. I learned how to manage the world. I learned how to put myself in a position to find a way, right? There's so much about our human nature that we just quit when I just always am thinking, how can I find a way? How can I write this goal? How can I, man, I wrote an international best-selling book and I didn't graduate high school on time. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. You know what I mean, I had yeah. straight F's in my senior year of high school. Wow. 
I, I don't know anything about anything except this. Mm-hmm. If someone else can do it, then you can too. Like the first dude who ever went skydiving, like he's for sure dead. Right. <laughs> yeah. But the, but the yeah. second dude who was on the ground, like looking up there, he goes, Oh no, no, no. This I, is I think I have a better way to do that. I can do that. I can see that it's possible. Yes. It's scary, but I can step into it. Mm-hmm. And and that's so much about what it's been for me is like, how do I, no matter what has happened, step into what's next in my life? And and I wrote this quote, and, and it's gone viral a few times, and it's, mm. though trauma may, may be our foundation, it is mm. not our future. Yeah. You know, we all, everyone has shit to deal with. Mm. Everyone has had a journey and a battle that they've gone through. And the people who are successful in life, and I think this is important, you have to define success as the narrative within yourself, not from other people, but whatever that is, the reason why people are successful or not successful is simply in the doing. And Mm. and the biggest thing that, that abuse taught me was that if you want life, you have to go do it. Because everyone will take everything away from you at every opportunity. Yeah. There's something incredible that comes out of um, listening to people with like traumatic stories or people that, that, that come from like really hard and deprived and in terrible backgrounds that make it out. There's, there's, there's an incredible level of success that there's, I think they have a higher ceiling than most just because they've never, they, they're not restricted by a lot. And also they've managed to deal with a lot of pain and rejection. So that they're more resilient to things. Like if you look at a lot of like successful um, athletes, a lot of successful business personnel that weren't handed a silver spoon, when they do make it, it's, it's a different level. And I feel a different sense of energy from them. Um, there, there's something that maybe you might be able to explain um, better to my audience or listeners as in the term, in the term trauma itself, like how would you best define it? Yeah. So, so trauma is the, the ramifications of negative experiences, right? So, so trauma isn't the moment that happens, but it's the backside of it. Trauma isn't the beating. It's the way that you think about yourself. Trauma isn't the being starved. It's the way that you, you feel about yourself in the world later, right? The, the moment and the experience that's abuse, right? Mm. Trauma is what we have to deal with on the backside, right? And and that's the thing, like, if you have a concussion, that's one thing, but then you have to deal with the trauma of the concussion later, you have to deal with, you know, whatever may come along with that. And so, you know, it's, everyone's experienced it to some extent, there's, I'll, I'll, I'll educate your audience, just a, a quick tangent here. Mm. Um, in the, in the mid 90s, Dr. Folletti in the California Center for Disease Control with Kaiser Institute did this thing called the ACE research study, which then turned into the adverse childhood experiences survey, which was an understanding of these negative things that impact you in a child as a child, and the ramifications that they have on you as an adult and your physical, mental and emotional health. And what they found is and there's a series of 10 questions. So Google ACE study to read these questions. I won't get into it right now. But mainly they're like, were you abused? Did your parents have a divorce? Were you molested? Were you beat? Whatever that thing was, right? Mm -hmm. And then looking at the correlation between that and long term negative health ramifications. And they found that most human beings have a a score of one. They answered yes to just one of these questions. They had one bad experience in their childhood. Now, often that one bad experience isn't going to snowball you. It's pretty rare. Mm. What they found though, is when you get to this marker four or more, you're like 2000 times, literally 2000 times more likely to smoke and drink. Mm. 
5,200% more likely to commit suicide. And I found this research and I was just like, oh, okay. I answered yes to all 10 of those questions. And in this moment of understanding this, I actually got some clarity because I understood for the first time that it wasn't the abuse that I was still dealing with. That stuff had passed. I was safe. No one could hurt me where I was. The problem is I was not yet in this place where I'd work through the trauma of it all. Mm. Yeah, no, that's that's quite incredible um, thing to. So you know, um, you just mentioned in regards to like how it affects us when we grow up. Do, do you think it's in direct correlation as to why there's such a high um, suicide rates amongst men in particular? Like, do you think a lot of that is 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 tied to childhood trauma and um, how men sort of act out their childhood trauma by not being able to, by not being taught how to be expressive or how to seek out help. Yeah. I mean, you, you hit it right on the head. I mean, I'm sure there's a huge correlation in childhood trauma. I mean, you can go mm. look at the ACE study results and that points to it. I mean, mm. a 5,200% increased risk chance of committing suicide if you were abused as a child. Mm. And, and that's if you answer yes to four or more of those questions. When I was 25, I put a gun in my mouth. And that was the second time that I tried to kill myself. And the only reason I'm not dead right now is because for whatever reason, the gun misfired. And as someone who grew up with, yeah. And as someone who grew up with firearms in my home Mm -hmm. and who has had them in my possession for most of my life, I know how to use, operate, clean and field strip a weapon. Mm -hmm. Call it God, universe, divine intervention. I don't know what the hell it was, man. But that one night it didn't work. And I'm sitting here talking to you. Because of the darkness, I hadn't done any of the healing yet. I hadn't stepped into this place of of growth, of love, of compassion, and I just wanted it all gone. It's really hard, and especially as a society of men, to not, to be told, man up, don't cry. Like, man up is bullshit to me. You want to mm. man up? Hug your best friend. Yeah, for Be real. a man. Show yeah. up. Like, this idea that you can't be an emotive man, and it's toxic because – on the one side, it ruins male-to-male relationships. Mm. And on the other side, now women have started to come to this idea of, oh, my man cries, he's weak. And I'm like, that is asinine. Mm. And if you are around a woman like that, you guys need to have a conversation. If you're on anyone like that, you need to have a conversation mm. about the fact that it's okay for you to be a human being and have a human emotional response to things. And you know, the other half of it is, I think societally, and I know I spent some time living in London. I've spent, I've spent time in, I've lived in 12 different countries. I've traveled. Oh, the for world. Real? Oh, okay. The Where one, in London was you? That, sorry? Where in London was you? Um, Corridon. Oh, okay. Corridon. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the one thing that I know and I understand about, um, about suicide is that these systems, no matter where you are in the world are not built to actually be accessible to you, Mm. right? It's really odd to me that we live in a society around the world where mental health care should be at the precipice of all the conversations that we have. And yet it's stuffed down to the bottom of priorities. Mm. And the problem with that is that people feel shame. They feel guilt. They feel like they can't reach out. They feel like everything's on their own shoulders. And, And I'll say this, there's no one on planet earth who at some point hasn't had the thought. Mm. Oh yeah. I, I think it's just true. And yeah. and the sad part about it is we can't even acknowledge that without people going, Oh, guess what? He must be broken. Mm. 
Yeah, I think that, that it's, it's one of those major taboos, but everyone knows it. Everyone has had the thought. And I've actually had a um, had a strange conversation with one of my friends a couple of years back, and we both kind of, it was, it was whilst we were driving, and we both kind of just spoke about the thought of doing it, because at that time we were going through something quite significant. And it's like, wow, the, it, it, I, I felt it was like abnormal. He felt it was abnormal. And then when we both came out of it, it's like, oh, what? So people do think about this, and it's not just me that's, that that goes through some of these dark places at times because life life is hard and it has these varied complexities. And um, one of the things I'm coming across nowadays when I'm looking into like mental health issues is is there's two things that tends to always poke out at me. One is the the chemical imbalance side of things. And then the other side is the complexities and how the world is covered with so much things at the moment that we, we're struggling to deal with, it. we're struggling to process it. And I realized what, what helps me um, personally is I tend to strip myself off quite a lot of things, especially like social media. And I'm very limited to how I spend my time and what I give my energy and particularly my mind to. Because when I do give it, I know that I get a feeling that I don't like and it feels strange. So I have to take myself away from it. So it's also about identifying what it is that's causing you issues and what's causing you harm. So how, how do you identify um, things that will prevent you from relapsing or going back into like a dark place and staying away from those? Yeah, you know, I, I have habits and routines that are part of my life that mm. are non-negotiable. Every single day, it's the same thing. Because here's what I understand is that I have to be able to have control over something in order for me to feel like I'm normal. And, and that's a definition of normal that I've decided. I'm not anxious. I'm not depressed. I'm not freaking out. I'm not in workaholism mode. I'm not drinking myself to sleep at night. That's my normal. You need to figure it out for yourself. But that routine is entirely about setting myself up for success every day, right? I think about the very first thing that I do every day. And it's just like, I drink water and then I meditate. And then I write in my journal and I stretch and I get my brain and my body connected because many trauma survivors are dissociated, meaning that their brains and their bodies aren't in sync. And because that was my experience for so long, that becomes my priority. Nothing interrupts that. I am not checking texts in the morning. I'm not responding to emails. I'm not on social media. The first 45 minutes of my day are my time. And that is because without that, I cannot be a high performer. I can't show up. And then I go to the gym, right? And then I work out and then I get into work. And then I get into the emails, the text, the podcast, the things like that. And in the evening, I start to shut off. I have tea and I read and, and I read. I'm on pace this year for 60 books, but I try to read like 35 to 40 books a year okay. because I, I, I think that one of the best things that we can do is educate ourselves. Yeah. And, and right now, when we are faced with this idea that the reality we exist in means that you have the opportunity for a lot of self-education, like I want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And so I remove myself, you know, I, there's another part of my life in which I, I don't share often, but I'll share here because I think it's relative. Yeah. I, I am a, a partner and a vice president of a retail company online. And I've oh, been in man. online digital marketing for 15 years. And we have a successful company. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I understand about the algorithms of social media being in this industry for so long is that it is trained to have dopamine release every time that you pick mm -hmm. it up. One of the 
best. I mean, you have literally been, I want to tell you this. You have been programmed to be addicted to your phone. Oh yeah, definitely. My phone has no notifications on it. Like I don't, you probably can't see. Oh, you can see the screen. Yeah, no see notifications. It, yeah. yeah. I guarantee I have 400 notifications right now. Yeah. I control my life. No notifications on my phone. There's a handful of people that the ringer will ring, but if you ain't one of those people, that phone ain't ringing. And if you text me, I'm not going to respond because I don't know what's there. And that's the thing, right? Take control of your life back. Like Mm -hmm. there, these phones, technology, and I use social media. I've got thousands, thousands of people who follow me on social Mm -hmm. media, but I don't get consumed by it because think about the loss of time, the loss mm. of energy, the pain, like literally the pain response you have when you see somebody who has a Bugatti or a Lamborghini yeah. and you're like, why do they get that? And then I, I just think about this. Why can't you? Oh, because you're wasting your time on social media. Mm, looking at someone else's. Right? The people who are successful, they're not wasting two hours a day on Instagram, yeah. right? And so, you know, they're, they're, that's me just being a little preachy and going on a rant. But ultimately, I think that the best thing that you can do if you want to, you have to set parameters and boundaries and you have to parent yourself and go, you're not allowed to do this. Yeah. And then don't do it because every time that you break a promise to yourself, then you're stuck with this really conflicting understanding of who you are. Yeah. That level of self-control is, is commendable. It's extremely hard. I mean, I, I look it's at my social... hard. It's terrible. Like, I look at my social media, um, in, like, it, so, you know, the Apple, it, it always updates you in regards to, like, your, it gives you analytics, how much time you spend on your phone each week. And it's horrible because I feel like my phone is glued to my hand. It's a part of my body now. And it's, it's trying to find that balance between doing progressive work and just being on there wasting time and, and checking out Floyd Mayweather with his last post when it's not going to have no benefit to my life whatsoever. So it's a very difficult one. And it does help once you're able to strip yourself off from it. Because there's been times where I've been on holiday in like, I don't know, in Africa and I've gone to like particular rural areas and I haven't been able to top up the, my phone to, to enable it to work. And it feels great because I'm, I'm connecting with humans and I'm like, wow, this feeling is amazing. But then to replicate that when, once you're back in the particular system is really, really extremely hard and it's difficult. But it's something I'm currently actively working on. So hopefully I can, I can become better at it and it will help, like, um, help me in the long run. But um, how, in terms of the work that you're doing right now with um, Think I'm Broken, what sort of work are you doing with um, trauma survivors in, in regards to like, helping them with their journey? Yeah, you know, it's a couple of different things. So I mentioned my book, Think Unbroken, which I I wrote that because, Francis, the thing that I recognize after really at that point would have been eight years of just constant learning, constantly being in these venues and reading these books and listening to all the things was that there was something missing. And, And what that was, was the intrinsic reflection of understanding where we are right now in a practical way meaning that you read these books and then like, okay, good luck. Whereas what I wanted to do was say, how does this become part journal, part introspective reflection of your experience to where you are right now? So you can create a pathway to where you want to go. That was one thing. Before that, it was blogging. Before that, it was coaching. And I've been coaching for years now. And and the number one thing that I do is I, I help people step into the path and go, it's my time. I'm going to do this. 
I understand that I've been through dark things, but I'm going to figure it out. And I support them and I'm help them become accountable for themselves. You know, people in, in coaching are often like, I'll be your accountability partner. I'm not being accountable for you. You're out of your mind, but I will help you get there. <laughs> yeah. I will show you how to do that. I have me to be accountable for. Right. Yeah. And, and so much of this journey and so much of of what I know is about how do I take the coursework of the of the workshop that I created, which is this five-day immersive in-depth workshop mm. that I've taught in six different countries and help you understand how to step into becoming the hero of your own story by mm. leveraging your power and moving through the vortex, this place in which we're consumed by this negativity and self-doubt and non-belief. And ultimately, this entire thing is about how do you, you know what my favorite day is? I'll share this with you. Mm -hmm. My favorite, favorite, favorite day with a client, and it happens pretty frequently, yeah. is that they send me an email or we have a call and they go, Michael, I don't need to do this anymore. I feel good about where I'm at. I got an email just today from a client and they were like, I just wanted to let you know, it's been six months. I haven't smoked or taken a drink and I just bought a new house. Amazing. Thank you. That's all the email said. Dude, I was thrilled. I had fucking tears in my eyes yeah, because imagine. here's what I understand yeah. about this journey. I am not an anomaly. Everyone is capable of creating the life that they want to have. But the question that you have to answer is what am I willing to do to have the life that I want to have? Sometimes people don't know where to begin. That's where I come in. And then my goal is how do we move you through this so quickly that you can start living for once? Yeah, that's amazing. Because when you when I come across a lot of like um, coaching programs, it's usually a case of retention. They just want to keep you on, on the drug as long as possible. And I think we, with you, it seems like it's a case of you trying to find a solution for the individual as soon as possible. And that's the results that you're after. So that's that's commendable and amazing work. How, how do people get in touch with you in relation to some of the work that you do and the programs that you have? Yeah, absolutely. Everything on social media, I'm Michael Unbroken everywhere. Yeah. Um my website where you can find information about coaching as well as the book is thinkunbroken.com. Mm. Uh, the book's on Amazon also, if you want to go read it there, the audio book will be coming out next month, which I'm stoked about. Yeah, um, and then uh, the Michael Unbroken podcast. Yeah, so you can amazing. check that out on iTunes gonna, and Amazon's all the things. I'm going to grab all your social links anyway from your socials and, and, and plug them on the, um, the description at the bottom of this. I mean, in terms of the audiobook, are you narrating that yourself or are you getting someone else to do it? No, I've been reading. I've been reading and recording and mastering it myself. Oh, no way. Because here's the thing. I'm going to, my goal is to write 30 books before I die. I'm at two. And so yeah. now it's like in the future, someone else can like be the master of the recording for me, even mm -hmm. though I will read it. But I believe that if you understand the baseline of how things should be, then you can be more successful. So yeah. I'm going through the trial and tribulation of recording my own audiobook. Yeah. So in the future, I have expectations set around what I expect. Oh, that's absolutely amazing. Man. Michael, your, your story is truly inspirational, man. And I, I really appreciate you sharing it with me. What, so what, what next for you now? What other works you got like, lined up in regards to um, the projects that you're doing? Yeah. So, so right now it's coaching. I'm spending a mm. lot of time in that avenue, um, creating new content every day, um, working on adopting my in-person workshop to be online. I recorded the whole thing and I sat there and I, I watched it and I was like, the part about the, 
this that's really hard is it's missing that human connection. So mm. I'm thinking I'm actually going to teach the entire workshop online. Okay. Um, and then I got another book. I can't talk about it yet, but it'll be out soon. I'd love to come back on and, and oh, share most it definitely. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for it. So I've got you on the socials now. So when the book is out, definitely hit me up and I'm, I'm going to order this book as well. Um, have a read through it. And then if anything else like riles up in my head, I'm going to give you a shout and we'll, we'll get on the mic and talk about it. So I can't, I can't, I can't.